was on the guitar fell. Whatever it is. I find it amusing to showcase my lack of musical jargon. So I called the... What is it? A capo or something? Is that what it is? Okay. All right. Well, uh, I told my son I would be (laughs) on point. So we're going to do that. Let's pray together. And then uh, we're going to get right into it. Well, Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be here. Grateful to be together. We're grateful to have something truly magnificent to, to worship and celebrate. I thank you for your death, your blood. I thank you that you were the only thing that could solve our sin problem, the divide that kept us between uh, or apart from you was the only thing that you could do. And it was your blood, it was your perfect sacrifice for people that were actively trying to reject you. I thank you that every circumstance that happened uh, was ordained by you, was used for your purposes, and you accomplished something, um, the greatest thing that ever happened. And so we honor and, and worship that. Today we worship you for who you are, and we ask for you to come for you to pour out your spirit on all of us. We need to hear, we need to see, we need to cherish, and we need to be full of faith. And so would you do these things in spite of my um, simple attempts at, at pointing to your glory? Would you do something good today? Thank you in advance. Amen. Well... I am not naturally sanguine. Is that a big surprise to anyone? And so, I've kind of started to be the official Good Friday guy. Because, you know, I can do the Good Friday vibe really well. I actually wake up ready to do the Good Friday vibe. Alright? It's just... And that's just my face. But not today. Nothing in my heart today is saying Good Friday vibe. Nothing in my heart is saying somber, heavy. Nothing in my heart, nothing about what I wanted to share with you and remind with you today is heavy in my heart. It's exciting, it's full of life, and it's worth celebrating. I kept going with reset, Rob. I didn't start my timer. Bonus time. So, the real reset, Good Friday version. Greg did a wonderful job. See the reset button there? Crazy. Alright, so, what I want to talk about today is what's so great... About Good Friday. What's so great? What's so wonderful? What's so glorious? What's so amazing about Good Friday? Because there's there's a lot to marvel at. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in Matthew 26. And I'm going to be verse 47 all the way to 56. 
So we're going to read that together. I'm going to click that crazily. All right. Here we go. This is the word of God. This, um, I'm going to go into that after. So it says this. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have came to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At the hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat at the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, disciples sorry, left him and fled. Before this setting in the gospel story, Jesus had prayed in Gethsemane. He had constantly tried to rouse his disciples. Stay up. It's going to get really hard for you guys. Stay up. War with me. There's, there's a big battle at play. Before that, he had done the Last Supper. Before that, Judas had agreed to betray Jesus and was actually consumed by Satan himself for the deed. Some say what tipped him over the edge was before that in Bethany when the woman poured all the perfume on Jesus' feet and that was the last straw. Judas wanted to recap and make back some of the profits he would have lifted from the sale of that perfume. That's potentially what may have caused him to, to go. But whatever it was, there was a lot leading up to this. And it was here in this setting that Jesus' master plan came to completely unfold and be set in motion. It's interesting that as man left the garden very broken, very estranged from God, and very alone, Jesus went back to the garden to begin making all that right. Jesus is always in charge of these types of things. And if we hear one thing today, I want us to hear that this story shows us that, that Jesus is always in control. Is that good news for us today? Is it, is it helpful to know that no matter how bleak it gets, no matter how much is stacked against us, no matter how lost the cause looks, Jesus is fully 
fully in control. There was a saying in the 1700s, you've heard it now, but it started in the 1700s. There's no certain thing except death and taxes, right? Then a wide receiver in football said, and me being open all the time. But that was a little bit bit later. He was spinning off that. All right. But I, I really want to add something to that. The only certain thing is that our Lord is always, always, always in control. And Good Friday is a beautiful display of that. The only certain thing is death and taxes, which means the only certain thing that is always against our control and is always a thorn in our side and always something we can't plan for and never manipulate is death and taxes. And Jesus has that same authority in every situation. Especially his death. So what I want us to do is just look at three of these, path, three of these passages that we already read. And pull out some ways that Jesus is showing his, his just amazing control in these situations. So the first one is 47 to 50. So we have it on the screen there. And so what's happening here is Judas, consumed by the devil already, at the 12 when they had the Last Supper. Told by Jesus already, okay, you go and do what you are planning to do. It's all set in motion already. And they were waiting for a time that Jesus would be alone. And so all the leaders, Judas who would betray him, and everyone from the temple, there was different leaders from the temple as well, and Romans were coming to arrest him. And it's interesting that in all of this, none of these people had any sort of ability to get this done without his say-so. It's a beautiful thing. Even the setting itself was ordained by Jesus. If you go back and you think about the Last Supper, what does Jesus tell only two of his disciples ahead of time? Nobody knows where the good supper or the last supper is going to be. It would have been a good supper too. But nobody knew where it was going to be. And his plan was, go find a man that you don't know who's carrying a jug of water and he's going to take you there. They had to fall into where this last supper would be. Because Jesus was saying, I decide where I give myself up. Who gets to decide that? I'm fully in control of where I get arrested. And I want to go back to the garden. And I want it to begin there. Because I'm about to do business with everything that happened in the garden so many years ago. I want it to happen here. I don't want to miss the Passover with my disciples as they can see for the the last and first time what I'm doing. I am the Passover lamb who's looking to pay the price for the full wrath of my father. My father is holy. My father is just. 
My father is true to his word and it is going to take a full satisfaction of his wrath. And I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to do that of my own free will for you. And so the place was important. And it had nothing to do with Judas. Judas was the one that ended up being consumed by the enemy. Judas still participated in all of the things that the disciples had up to that point. It had nothing to do with Judas. It had nothing to do with the guards. It had nothing to do with Pilate. When Pilate said, why aren't you talking to me? You realize that I can set you free, right? You should probably be pleading your case to me. And Jesus always wanted to... uh, not help his situation with what he said, said, actually, that authority you have, I gave you. So let's just slow your roll on that. And uh, slow your roll hadn't been invented in uh, around 30 AD, but the message was there, all right? And, And even to Pilate, you know, the highest, most powerful person in the, in the room and in the situation, he said, you got nothing if I'm not letting you stay in your place. The death of Jesus had zero to do with the people that were trying to kill him. He had full control over everything that was happening. And it's a beautiful thing. He didn't fear his circumstances. He didn't fear the people coming up against him. He knew what he was called to do. And that's the same for us today. Because of Jesus, because of the road he took, because of the victory he won, our circumstances do not define our calling. It's not the final word. Jesus never gave up the final word. The second point is this. I've got to get used to this clicker thing. And this is the exciting, this is to me the most exciting thing about this story. Jesus' power under control. He had power under control. And we don't even differ in this. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have that same Spirit that, that did what to Jesus' dead body? It woke it up. After three days, bone cold and stiff, and it woke it up. And if we are born again, we get that same spirit in us. How do your circumstances feel now? How does your power feel now? I'm feeling energized. Jesus had power under control. Peter always wanted to take matters into his own hands. Closed his eyes. And swung wildly, cutting off a soldier's ear. I had to close his eyes part, because come on. An ear, like, not a cheek, not a jaw, not a, like an ear. It's amazing. But listen to the two things that Jesus says in reply. The first is he heals the man's ear. He says, this isn't about swords, what I'm doing here. The battle isn't about slashing wildly with our eyes closed at people. 
Let me just put that back. And he, and he healed the man's ear because it wasn't about that battle. Jesus knew the battle he was fighting. This is the amazing thing that he says. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Let me do a bit of math for you. This math is fascinating, okay? A legion is 6,000 soldiers. And it's not the farmer soldiers with the uh, pick or the uh, dull axe. These are like, you know, it's 6,000 Rockies. All right? That's terrifying. Um, 6,000 And I'm going to send 12 of them, which is 72,000 angels. Now, what? An angel's pretty good? Like, an elite soldier angel is pretty good? Like, maybe they could kill... Maybe two more people than a man? Four? Maybe eight, if they're really, like, full of the glory? Right? Well, you read in Isaiah, and one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. Oh. Oh. So now you have 72,000 angels with the ability to kill 185,000 people. So he was saying... I'm going to call an army that has the ability to end 13 billion lives. Which is just under half of our total population today. Right around 7.9. Unfortunately, at the time in about 30 AD, there was roughly 300 million people on the earth. See, math is fun. 300 million. So he said, if this goes south and I want to pull out, I'm going to call enough firepower to kill every person in the world and every thought they had about a descendant and every, every silent thought they had about a descendant and even the things in the air that might somehow cause a descendant. I'm going I'm to end it all. And I don't know if Jesus is big and just running his mouth off. I don't think he's one to just, you know, talk smack to people. Make empty threats. I had this friend of mine named Scooter. He's now in the U.S. military. And... Scooter's not his real name. But he was in the U.S. military. And he saw a friend of his surrounded by four or five guys. At a 7-Eleven. So you know something's about to go down. Alright. At this 7-Eleven too. Can you believe it? A fight at this 7-Eleven? That's crazy. How, how does that happen? Okay. 
So, of course, him in his big scooter bravado, he wants to step in. And he steps right into the circle. It's a true story. And he says to the crowd, there's five of you and one of me. You'll probably all take me down. But the first guy that comes in is dead. Big, big words, big talk. That's not bad. But he can't guarantee any of that. Right? And, and luckily they didn't go for it. They were like, all right, that's a good point. So we're just going to take off. But like they didn't go for it. But it's empty. All of the things we hope to achieve are empty. And one of the beauties of that, of Jesus in this, in this story is that he could have stopped it at any time. Think about how hard the thoughts would have been. Man, I could, they're mocking me. I could just be taking them out. But he was always under control. Thirdly, I want to say that The beauty of this story, the control of Christ in this story is the power of God's plan and will to get this done. This was always the plan. This was always the thing that needed to happen. This was always the solution for sin and death and decay and absolute loss. The great unpassable divide that sin and God had between it. This was always the plan. And everything in human history, everything in Jesus' life was pushing him towards this. God always knew what he was doing sending his son. Jesus always knew what he was doing being sent by his father. And no matter what the crowds And the devil, you remember in the Passion movie, the devil is just pacing around the crowd wanting to influence everyone as they scream and hurl insults and attack Jesus. And he's just dwelling in there. And he had no idea what he was doing because he wasn't winning. This was always the plan and everyone was a pawn in it. Christ was fully in control of his own death. His father was fully in control. This was always the deal. Then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? This is what needs to happen. Let's not fight. I got all the backup I need, but that's not what we're doing here. I've come for this moment and nothing's going to stop it. Nothing ever is going to stop the plans of God. Never. And Good Friday is not a story about victimhood. It's not a story about the depths of humanity and how bad it goes. It's not even just a story about the price and horror of our sin. It's a a story that says God's always going to get his way done. Always. Is that good news today?
I know I said I'd be jovial, but this is like my jovial, all right? So, like, I don't know. I'm trying. So that the scriptures would be fulfilled. That term was said 16 times in just the book of Matthew. And what the writer wanted to know is everything is coming to pass because God said everything is going to come to pass. This isn't an accident. This isn't bad fortune that will try and spin in the end. This is the way it's supposed to go down. My son's supposed to die. My son is supposed to take my full wrath, my full anger, and my full judgment for you and for me. There was no plan B, ever. And Jesus kept pointing back to this. Everything that's happening here has been planned a long time ago, guys. So why are you so tense? Is there any value of that today? God's plans are not going to be thwarted. And the plan was always, as it says in Isaiah, to smitten and afflict his son, to lay on him the iniquity of us all. And verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him in grief. This was the only plan. It was fully on purpose. And it's beautiful. So just a few things that we can take from this. Because Christ is always in control. And it's important that we look at that story and we pick out some of the ways that that Jesus had fully given his okay to the plan of dying. Because it shows us the Lord that we're following today. And it shows us how we should think about him and talk to him and feel about him and feel about our circumstances. We serve a God who is always in control. Who is never floundering, who is never spinning and wondering how to get his directions back. He's always in control. And yet so much of our world still, man, I talked about this last year, like everything is still completely out of control around us. Third waves, like a third wave is just the waves that don't end. And unfortunately, every time it doesn't stop, every time we go around another bend and we think the next straightaway, I'm going to see prairies again. I'm going to see good old prairies. It's going to be clear sailing. I'm going to see the way forward. It's another bend. It's another hill. It's another valley. And that can be discouraging. That that can be discouraging. It doesn't have to be. But we need to look at the God who's never out of control. Who always has a plan. Always. Whose will is always going to come to pass. 
Good Friday shows us that even in death, Christ is fully in control. The thing that looked like a total wash was the way Jesus wanted to accomplish the plan that would save everyone in humanity that would believe. It's a beautiful thing. So a few things we can guard ourselves with. No situation is too bleak. Did Good Friday look bleak? On the road to Emmaus, were they feeling encouraged? When Jesus died and they had no idea what was next, they had no idea, how does the, how does the Savior of the world die? That kind of throws a huge wrench in our next 30 to 40 years that we thought was going to happen. Everything leading up to that point was for nothing. They were deeply discouraged. It was bleak beyond bleak. And our universe is often very bleak around us. If we just allow our circumstances to guide our feelings. If we feel like we're slaves to the things that are going on around us. Because in reality, we're not slaves to our circumstances. We're not slaves to the enemy. We're not slaves to the, the people who are trying to thwart our every move around us. We're not slaves to our government. We're not slaves. We are redeemed slaves to Christ. But we never need to feel like our situation is too bleak. Secondly, we never have to doubt the length God will go for us and for his will. Is God's arm really long enough for our situations? Often that's how God talks about himself and the Bible talks about God. His arm, the length of his arm. John, I need your arm right now. You know, I ain't got a good length, right? God's got an awesome length. He can reach everything, every situation, every bleak scenario that we feel like we're totally out of control, totally lost, totally slaves to. Our Father is saying, I thrive in your situation. I thrive in it. I bring peace, I bring order, and I always accomplish my will. can't read that up there. Lastly, is we don't have to be a savior to our situation. We don't have to feel out of control. We don't have to simply live and operate in our circumstances. We don't have to be along for the ride. How often in all of this have you just felt along for the ride? I'm on my raft. I can't control the current. I'd like an off-ramp. I would like a twig to grab onto. I would even like the ability to fall off my raft. But I'm strapped on. I'm along completely for the ride. People don't like that feeling. Nobody likes that feeling. But in Christ, through Good Friday, and because that same power in him that caused him to live the perfect life, die the perfect death, completely unjust, 
for his own life, but for ours, to rise on the third day, which is going to be celebrated just a couple of days. We still are full of that same power. That same Holy Spirit is available to us. So we're never floundering in our scenarios. It means we can take a breath. I don't have to be God in every situation. I don't have to have the right answer. I can be free to love my brothers and sisters when it's really hard. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Think of a hard situation that you're dealing with. How much freedom would you feel if the pressure to fix the situation was taken off? And your job was to love the people around you. Would that feel daunting or would that feel freeing? To me, that feels very free. I don't need to save anybody. I don't need to even change my circumstances. That doesn't mean I'm out of time. It means something else. That's my theme song for ending. I'm not along for the ride in my circumstances. I'm not a slave. I'm not being told what I have to do here and there and everywhere. I'm not left and lost without any idea of what to do. God has shown me that he's in control of every situation. Even his very own death, he orchestrated perfectly to suit his beautiful, life-saving will. And he's doing that in all of us. And so we're free. We're absolutely beautifully free. Now I don't want to go into what the liberties of that freedom are. Because that's going to take a real sideways turn. But There's a beauty in knowing that Christ is in control of every single scenario. And we can enjoy and take hold of and love and relish the idea that we're in control in him as he's in control of our situation. It's a great Friday because Jesus was the Lord over his very own death. It was his perfect plan. And that should give us confidence in today. He's that same Lord in all of us. And he's in charge of everything that's going on in our lives. That is great news. Church, is that great news? That's great news. Greg, would you come and lead us in the song? Crin, please. Let's pray together, church. Father, I want to thank you for sharing your son with us. As many of us are fathers, God, I, I can't imagine that decision. But 
we're not meant to dwell on how hard that situation was. We're meant to dwell on the level of love that was needed to do that. The level of commitment to saving the world. A world that wanted nothing to do with you. God, there is much to be thankful for on this Good Friday. It's a great day. There is much to celebrate. Yes, our own sin sent a perfect man, a God-man to the cross. But it was out of love that it was done. And it was fully ordained by you. God, would we take hold of that today? And understand that you are absolutely in control of our scenarios today. In us, by your spirit, as you were those years ago. God, rouse our faith today. Give us gratitude and thankfulness that we are not alone. We are not floating in the middle of a deep ocean. We are not surrounded by predators with no way out. We are fully loved and held and immersed by a God that is completely in control. Of even of the, the perfect way for him to allow his own death. You allowed yourself to be killed. Thank you for that level of control. And that in you we can feel safe and secure. Because you're safe and secure. Give us boldness in the days to come. Give us freedom. Amen.